Hello, everyone. Welcome to this edition of the Pharmacy Magazine Talking COVID podcast, where we look back at developments in pharmacy over the past week or so as we move on to the next phase of this pandemic. And there's lots to talk about as ever. My name is Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine. Joining me as usual are Rob Darricott, editor of P3 Pharmacy Magazine, Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News, and a welcome return to the pod after a few weeks away to Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacists. Welcome back, Neil. What have you been up to since we last spoke? There are rumours that you've been writing your, your first novel. Is that true? Rumours are greatly exaggerated, Richard. I think it's more of a, a, a short story rather than a novel. But um, it depends how far it goes, I suppose. Yeah, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been quite enlightening for myself. Yeah. In what page are you up to? Uh, one. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm actually on page uh, 21. So that's the, I'm, I'm making some progress. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the plot is building nicely. Um, we should look forward to reading that at some point, <clears throat> I think. Now, I, I just have to remark uh, at this point um, that Rob, uh, who had a, a significant birthday on the weekend that I'm not supposed to mention, has had uh, what looks like a, a COVID haircut. So I'm looking at him right now via Skype and and, and those of you who are familiar with the professor will know that he normally sports a, a very fine barnet for a man of his age. Well, it's, it's all gone, I can tell you. He's had a grade one all over. Uh, what happened, Rob? Did you, did you lose a bet or did the birthday celebrations get out of hand? Well, for, first, of, first of all, first of all, what do you mean for a man <laughs> of his age? For, for, first of all, anyway, secondly, it wasn't a birthday haircut. It was the day after. Um, but. Frankly, I was it was getting so long, I just had to uh, bite the bullet and do something. So got some clippers and handed them over to my nearest and dearest, and she set to and got very, very enthusiastic about it. So now I can feel the wind whistling around my ears again, which is nice. Well, you're in the prime of life, Rob, obviously, and I think the haircut looks really nice. So uh, well done, you, and well done, Helling, on that. But I think we'd better move on, I think. Uh, later in the pod, we're going to talk to Danielle Hunt, who's the Chief Executive of Pharmacist Support, uh, about the work of the charity during these challenging times. And after that, in part two, we're going to debate the performance of pharmacies' professional organisations during the crisis. And we've also got some Welsh hymn singing for you. But first, let's discuss the findings from our latest Coping with Covid survey. Every couple of weeks throughout the crisis, we've been asking pharmacists about how they've been dealing with the COVID pandemic, what their experience has been on the ground. And this has generated a lot of invaluable data and information about how pharmacy teams are, well, coping with COVID or not, as the case may be. The wave four of the survey went out on the weekend. We reported the results on Monday. Uh, Arthur, you've been leading on this. What stood out for you from the latest set of results? Yeah, so it's been very interesting to sort of track what the key, uh, what the crunch issues are each time we run the surveys. Earlier on, it was very much about the unprecedented workload pharmacies were facing, and that seemed to have calmed down somewhat. And um, one of the big issues this time around was the sort, the sort of sense of mistrust uh, that pharmacists feel towards the government and the NHS. I think particularly in England, they feel they're sort of treated as being at the back of the NHS queue and uh, and the death and service benefit would have been a big example of this for a lot of pharmacists. Uh, other big issues that we saw in the survey this time around, PPE, that's an ongoing issue. PPE shortages, particularly in independents, um, 
they seem to report more acute shortages of surgical masks and gloves and so on. And uh, cost was the other big, the other big issue this time around. Uh, we found that um, the average pharmacy seems to spend uh, over five thousand pounds on measures like, uh, like social distancing measures like screens or staff or managing deliveries. People seem kind of mistrustful of the volunteer pandemic delivery service, so they're still using their own drivers. And uh, yeah, so that's all sort of piling up now. You know, it, 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 it seems to be taking its toll on our readers. Yeah, the cost is, is an issue, isn't it, Rob? And, and of course, that's not reflected in any extra funding yet anyway. And um, what stood out for you from the latest set of results? Well, I think I'll just pick up that cost thing uh, before I go on to something else. But I think um, a very interesting figure, five and a half thousand, I think was the average we, we got in the survey. I know it's only small and I know other organisations are doing probably more in-depth um, stuff to, to have that conversation with uh, with NHS England. But it's interesting, if you gross up that five and a half thousand across the sector as a whole, you get to a figure which is not unadjacent in English terms, around 60, 70 million, to the equivalent of what um, what has been put into the system in Scotland. Um, and so, you know, I think I'm pretty sure those numbers are going to be going to feed through to the to the the full surveys as well but it's it's great to have a little snapshot I think to, to to see that and to start people thinking about that and the thing that stood out for me I think was was what's happening with deliveries still um you know the numbers are still incredibly high compared with where they were when we started all of this thing and just the numbers you know that think about that in in dealing with that 43 requests independence receiving each day okay slack down slightly um but 20% more requests and deliveries than usual at this time of year and 60% more requests across the whole sample. I mean, you know, that that is a, that's more than a cottage industry now. That is a, a fundamental part of the system and one that's unlikely to disappear, I would suggest. Yeah, the deliveries has been um, incredible, actually, the growth in them. And like you say, Rob, consistently, you know, just seems to have become um, a massive part of the of the output of pharmacies at the moment, with all the difficulties, really, that that's generated. Um, but Neil, what did you make of it? You had a, a few weeks away, obviously, been following the news quite closely, though, but maybe with a, a fresher perspective, what did you think of the survey results this time around? Well, I wasn't um, terribly surprised, uh, particularly where independents are concerned. Uh, we all know that, 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 that I think pharmacy gen generally has, has struggled to get PPE in. Um, but as far as, you know, I, you always fear the worst for independents. They always seem to be uh, left fending for themselves. And I wasn't surprised to see the survey reveal that uh, independents were the worst hit by a lack of uh, PPE. Um, and it was interesting. I was having a conversation with um, one uh, independent pharmacist uh, just just. Uh, yesterday and um, they told me that um, they feel that uh, some of the multiples are, are very well looked after and they seem to get quite a lot of PPE in and they're all covered and, 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 the, and the independents are left um, sort of flailing a bit and uh, I just from that I don't know whether that's right across the board but, but it makes you wonder you know at a time like this it's such a difficult time we all know how horrendous things are at the moment um, why can't the pharmacy profession as a whole Show a bit of solidarity, and uh, you know I, we understand the competitive tensions between the multiples and the independents. Obviously, that 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 goes without saying. But you know, during this uh, horrendous pandemic, um, if the multiples do have 
uh, or able to have a bit more pulling power in getting PPE in, why can't they um, help the independents a little bit? I just think a bit of solidarity right across the board would, would really help. And that, that, that was something that jumped out at me from the survey. I just played devil's advocate for a moment. Do you think that really happened, that the multiples would get preferential treatment over, over PPE from the, the wholesalers? Well, I don't know. I mean, there's no there's no hard evidence to to, to back that up. Um, but I, I'm, I'm I'm talking to a, a pharmacist who's on the front line, an independent, and he's hearing a lot of things about a particular multiple that is getting quite a lot during the pandemic has been able to source PPE in and 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 relatively relatively uh, rapidly. And uh, what his question simply was, well, what about the independents? They're left stranded. You know, they, a lot of them still can't get it. So I don't know whether that's true right across the board. But um, I, if it is true, maybe the bit of, my, my view would be a bit of solidarity with, with pharmacy as a whole, I think would be the best approach because we're in a very unusual, horrendously difficult situation at the moment. Yeah, I think I think there's an issue with... Um, if it, it helps, I guess, if you've got somebody who's responsible for procurement. There was a there was an interview on, on the TV yesterday with David Bean, who I, I hadn't clocked as, as left the CQC and gone to the largest care home provider. And they were asking him about um, PPE in the care home sector. And he just said, well, we've got a brilliant procurement uh, specialist and, and we've just bought it. And, I, you know, I think there's if you've got somebody whose job it is, is to go find this stuff, given the absolute chaos at the centre of the whole government approach to PPE, you just go get it, don't you? I mean, that's clearly what the care home, that care home group has done. They've just gone and got it wherever they can get it from and distributed it. You know, so I, I think I think if you're set up for that sort of thing, obviously you've got you've got a head start. I agree with Neil. It'd be nice to think that there were procurement specialists who'd be thinking slightly wider. But the whole central approach to this has been so bad that I think people have just done what they can, you know. But I think that's the point from the independent point of view. I think it's just been a lot harder to as you say, Rob. I agree, Neil. Absolutely I agree. It has been harder. Yeah, it's, it, I guess it's a supply and demand situation to an extent. I mean, my understanding is that, that um, the wholesalers kind of uh, almost get allocated supplies from a central stockpile and then um, then supply on to their, their customers. And I, I guess those supplies get snapped up pretty quickly and therefore you know, you're in a shortages situation again. But, you know, either way, the, the PPE issue uh, has been, um, you know, top of, top of the list really throughout this crisis doesn't appear to be getting much better and i can understand it's a real concern for, for independence you know and multiples obviously i mean for me the the quantitative data from the surveys so important has been very striking and we've just discussed an aspect of it there but it's it's the qualitative stuff that that stands out the comments from pharmacists that provide the color and, and context and act as a bit of a barometer i suppose to the to the reality of the situation out there. And I've just pulled some examples out from the, um, the latest survey. Um, one pharmacist, we're only part of the NHS when it suits. You know, another one saying we, we, we picked up the pieces when GPs closed their doors. Does the government really consider us as a valued service? Then another one saying we're all being hung out to dry by the government. Um, we're being treated like dirt. So some... Really powerful stuff there, and it's a, gra- a graphic illustration to me, anyway, not only of the, the state of morale out there amongst pharmacists and their teams, but also you know, what a struggle it's been. What a struggle it's been. 
I think you're right, Richard. I, I think I think that's really key because I, I think the general I get the sense in independent pharmacy that um, they do feel they've they've been left to uh, uh, to hang out to dry. They've, they've been you know they've they've been treated really badly here, and and I think that's been epitomised by the advice that NHS England have given over the use of PPE. I think the the general feeling in far in independent seems to be that well. We don't really care if you use it or not. I mean, it's kind of, you know, you don't really need to use PPE. You know, it doesn't, it seems to be a lack of care coming out, out from the government in NHS England, really. I think that's, that, that's what struck me. I would say there's a suspicion uh, for a lot of pharmacists that, you know, the government and the NHS are prepared to do, you know, the minimum crisis management while this is going on. But then the drawbridge may well go back up once, once the crisis is over, whenever, whenever that is. And, uh, you know, these kind of, talks about funding and these sort of pleas for extra funding might kind of fall on deaf ears again. Yeah, I agree with all of that. We're certainly moving to the next phase of uh, of the crisis now. Um, workload does seem to have settled down a little bit, and I think, you know, all thoughts are turning to the future now, and it'll be very interesting to see the shape and the state of play, the discussions between um, the sector and, and, and ministers going forward. Um, because we need to to move forward from this, and how does the sector, you know, leverage on the tremendous resilience that it's shown during the crisis? So there are some big questions to be answered, and a lot of important discussions to be had. So now it's time for our interview feature. Uh, earlier on in the week, I caught up with Danielle Hunt, chief executive of Pharmacist Support. And it's been a, a busy period for the charity, as you would expect in these difficult times for the sector. So I started by asking her what the last couple of months have been like. Um, busy, as you would expect. Um, we've seen a huge increase in the number in, of inquiries to the charity. Um, and these inquiries have mainly been linked to kind of the uncertainty of the situation. We've been thrown into something that is completely unknown um, and that's obviously caused additional pressures um, and workload and in, in turn has caused increased um, stress and anxiety so that's the type of inquiries we've seen I mean we know individuals have been under increased pressures for some time so with the pandemic this has just kind of magnified that situation um, and as you know we do offer a range of services um, free and confidential financial support um, specialist advice, addiction support, our listening friends helpline. But the main increase really has been on our information and inquiries. Um, so we have tried really, really hard to try and push out as much support as possible, particularly on mental health and wellbeing, because we know people are under pressure. And it seems like probably quite a difficult time to think about that and yourself at the moment. But we have been trying to push out as much as we can um, to help people navigate through some of these challenging times and, and to kind of do that proactively to reduce some of that pressure of being coming calls and inquiries. So do you say concerns about mental health and anxiety have gone up significantly during the course of the, the COVID crisis? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, again, like I was saying, it's more about that unknown and that anxiety, really. People are worried about their own physical and mental health and um, the health of loved ones. And I think that's the increase in anxiety. I mean, people are worried. Everyone's an individual, so people are worried about contracting the virus or taking that home to a loved one, particularly those who might live with vulnerable people. So that's causing an increase in that worry and stress. Have you had people um, getting in touch with you concerned with their financial situation? 
um, pharmacy contractors, for instance? Mainly the financial support that we've been that has been requested from the charity has come from pre-regin students, to be honest, and that's been around um, part-time work that they might have been undertaking whilst they've been studying um, has dried up, businesses have closed overnight temporarily, and suddenly there's no income. So that's been the focus. I mean, we have had some concerns around those who maybe aren't able to work or are worried about taking maybe unpaid time off and what that might do to their financial situation. Of course, the disruption has been felt very acutely by this year's pre-registration trainees with all the uncertainty about completing their training, their assessment uh, and their registration. Have they been getting in touch specifically with concerns about these things? Particularly in the first few weeks um, when everything started to change, we had a huge influx in calls. Um, and it, and again, it's that uncertainty. And, and for the pre-reg trainees, it's about that uncertainty about their future. So worries about, well, what, what's going to happen next? Um, what's going to happen to my career opportunities? The assessment, we don't know what's happening yet. Um, how are they going to complete their training? And all of this whilst a complete change at work. So suddenly they're thrown into a new situation where new measures are being put in place and they're having to work a little bit differently. So lots of changes for them, which is quite a lot to take when you've got uncertainty and, and it's already quite a difficult year anyway. Yes, indeed. Um, and what about your organisation? It's been very difficult for, for charities with their fundraising over the last few months. Uh, how have you managed to keep your, your fundraising activities going? Well, it has been difficult and unfortunately we have seen a decline in income from our usual sources. Um, like many other charities, the worst hit has been our community fundraising. Um, many of our planned activity hasn't and will not go ahead. Um, awards, conferences, things like that were, were the, normally the nominated charity. Obviously, if they don't go ahead, we won't get the income from there. Um, we had a runner in the London Marathon and some community fundraising kind of set up. So it has been difficult, but as always, we try and find new ways and we have been trying to find new ways. And I have to say we are so fortunate as a charity because we have some amazing supporters um, and they've found some very... Um, new and inventive ways of raising money for us. Um, so we've had a number of people take part in the 2.6 challenge. I don't know if you've heard of that, but that was a response to the delay in the London Marathon. So people have been walking or running 2.6 miles or kilometres, depending on <laughs> what you want to do, or, or doing other things over sort of 10 days. Um, or using some of the money they're saving from, say, having haircuts and having those home haircuts and, and donating that to the charity. Um, so, you know, finding new ways and, and doing that in a safe way, really. And what's been quite nice is we have seen an increase in people setting up a monthly direct debit, so regularly giving to the charity because they know we need it. So that's been good to see. So there has been some positives. It sounds like the the sector's really rallied round, which is which is very encouraging. And of course, you know, your your work is going to be needed, I think, more than ever in 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 the months going forward. Um, you've done a heck of a lot of work in, in recent years to to highlight mental health concerns in pharmacy and workplace pressures. Um, but tell us about the the Act Now campaign that you're launching this week. Um, yes, this is our new campaign, um, launching in Mental Health Awareness Week. Um, basically, it's our, our new wellbeing campaign. Um, we've developed the campaign to highlight wellbeing during this difficult time. Um, 
And we believe, although it might not feel like a priority for some, it's extremely important. So that's why we're doing it now. Um, the aim of the campaign is to raise awareness of the importance of well-being and to then encourage positive action. And it's that positive action that's the really important bit. Um, the campaign really wants people to prioritise their own mental health and well-being, but to also check in on their colleagues. So we've got this Act Now message. So Act is allow time for well-being. So taking that time during the workday and time at home, whether that be five, ten minutes, um, considering the needs of colleagues, we all know that we're in it together. Um, and it does require teamwork and just checking on others who might be feeling the pressure. Um, sometimes it does just take someone asking if you're okay to, you know, to think about yourself um, and to take action. So to actually try and positively build in activity into your day, but also if it is getting too much, to know that there are people out there and to share that information, to get in contact with organisations such as ourselves. Don't suffer in silence, don't don't be alone. So that's an important message. And then the now is, is for now. Um, we're also guilty of putting things off. And I think this is just about finding that time, committing to finding that time and building in just new small habits. We're not asking people to completely change their way of life, but I think it's important that people do try and do some small things for themselves. Um, so that's really what the message is focused on. And what we'll be doing is encouraging as many people to sign up to the campaign. And what we have linked to the campaign is um, a microsite. So that'll have lots of digestible information, tips, and things that you can do to kind of make these positive changes because you know it is hard and we are bombarded by information so we're just trying to do that in kind of a bite-sized way to make it easy um but it's also i think about encouraging everybody in the profession to kind of come together and to encourage that conversation about well-being um i think it's really hard especially in kind of a caregiving um profession that we talk about ourselves and we admit that we're not feeling great some some days but i think I'd be surprised if anybody hadn't felt a little bit overwhelmed, um, a little bit strange sometimes, because we're all adapting to a changing and challenging situation. And those who are right on the front line, it, it's difficult. So encouraging that conversation, sharing stories, people knowing they're not alone, and sharing those tips of how they might be building in new activities and, and things they might be doing to just feel that little bit better. That sounds a, a fantastic campaign, Danielle, and, and plenty for pharmacists to do there to get involved and plenty of resources available, I think. Will everything be going live this week? Yes, everything will be going live. So as soon as it's live, we'll be promoting it through our social media channels and then you'll be able to sign up directly to the microsite. Well, Danielle, thanks so much for telling us about the new campaign and for talking to us on the pod about the vital work that Pharmacist Support has been doing during this very difficult time. Good luck with everything going forward. No problem. Thanks very much. So that was Danielle Hunt there. Uh, details about the Act Now campaign will be released tomorrow uh, on Thursday. The launch due to take place next week on May the 21st, following um, Mental Health Awareness Week, which runs from the 18th to the 24th of May. The pharmacist support does some tremendous, really important work for those people in pharmacy who find they need a bit of help. And I think that support's going to be needed now more than ever as we go forward. Charity is really part of the pharmacy family, and I'm sure people will get behind the new campaign. So sign up as soon as you can. 
all the details on the Pharmacist Support website. And of course, we'll be covering and supporting the campaign as well. So now let's turn our attention to the pharmacy bodies and how they performed during the COVID crisis. Uh, Arthur, we asked pharmacists for their views on this as part of our survey. What were they telling us? Um, well, they don't seem as illusioned, as disillusioned with the, the pharmacy bodies as with the government anyway. Uh, their ratings were relatively higher, and particularly the, the PDA and the NPA scored quite well. Uh, they came out on top. And then um, I think the Royal Pharmaceutical Society and AIM would have been in the middle, and CCA apparently at the bottom. They weren't rated very highly at all. And it, one thing that came came up in the in the comments was that um, that there's a lot of overlap between what the different bodies are offering, and people might get the same kind of information in an email from PSNC and NPA or the RPS, and they're sort of inundated. Whereas what pharmacists um, would rather have is more um, work to get the message out to the public of what the sector is doing. A lot of people in the, in their comments said that was lacking. In terms of the negotiators, um, unfortunately in England again, the PSNC came at the bottom and contractors in Scotland, uh, Wales and Northern Ireland appeared to rate their negotiators a little bit higher. Okay. Uh, Yeah, Rob, did anything kind of strike you about the performance of the bodies in terms of their position relative to each other, I suppose? Uh, not particularly relative to each other. I think I think what does come across from that, and Arthur said it really, is that the comments in the survey about how many, um, how many, how much stuff was thrown at people from all sorts of different directions. I think um, I'm not sure that's particularly helped in England. Uh, that various things have been repeated in different ways from different organisations. I think it's come up not just in this survey but in previous ones. And I think there's a lesson here about coordinating some kind of broad messages. You know, it's very interesting that NHS England, one thing they did do reasonably well, I think, was to collate the primary care, uh, collate the primary care stuff into a a daily sort of news e-newsletter, which worked quite well for them, I think. Um Whereas in pharmacy, uh, we've mentioned the Community Pharmacy Scotland video two or three times. I think that's uh, the YouTube, that's worked really well. And I think that's been missing in England. So where do you go to get your, what do I need to do today stuff? I'm not entirely sure people do know where to go still today. Um, you know, I, I mean, I struggled with it for a number of years, as people will know. Um, different bodies trying to do different things. And clearly that's an issue which remains as an issue in England. Uh, Too many bodies all trying to crowd into each other's spaces and not a lot of clarity about who should be doing what. Yeah, so coordination and clarity of messaging does seem to have been an issue. Um, Is that what what you made of it, Neil? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, um, Arthur, relaying the the survey uh, findings and, and the sense that people... Uh, pharmacists generally get the sense that you know there's there's a bit of overlap there, and they're not really sure about the messaging. You know, it, it seems to be a bit of a pharmacies doing the same same thing, conveying the same messages. For me, um, during this pandemic, there's there's two bodies I think two bodies in particular that that stand out that have done an absolutely brilliant job, and you and you know who they are because of what they do, and they and there's no denying what they do. And those two, for me, those two bodies are the PDA and the GPHC. Um, 
I get a sense that with the RPS and the PSNC, and I mean, to a lesser extent, the NPA, they've done, they've done a particularly good job. But those organisations, it's very hard to gauge what kind of impact, what kind of effect they've had on, on proceedings, if you see what I mean. They've all got involved. They, they've not sat back and done nothing. They've all had their say. They've all got involved in the big issues affecting pharmacy. Uh, and they've all stood up for, for pharmacy. But it's hard to gauge. But with the GPHC and the, and the PDA, you really do get a, get a, a real idea of what they're doing. And, it, and they've made a real impact. You can see the impact that those organisations have had. Um, I would also say that if, on the other end of the spectrum, if you take the CCA, for example, I think that they've had a, a particularly bad time of it during the pandemic. I'm not surprised about the, 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 uh, the survey's results kind of highlighting them as, as having a, a not done particularly well. I think they've had a bit of a nightmare, actually, the CCA during this. And it'd be interesting to see what, hear what Rob thinks of that. But uh, um, for me, the, the stars of the show are the GPHC and the PDA, for me. And, and what is it about the GPHC's interventions that you found effective? Well, I just, I just feel that during a, an extraordinarily difficult time for community pharmacy at the moment, I just think that they've shown as a regulatory body, and regulatory bodies don't always show understanding, they've just shown great flexibility and, 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 and a real kind of, not sympathy might be the wrong word, but an empathy with, with what's going on. And they've, they've kind of realised what pharmacies are going through and they've actually gone out of their way to sort of support pharmacies during this really difficult time. You know, the use of volunteers to deliver medicines is a, is a prime example. That's not something that pharmacies would ordinarily do. The GPHC have kind of understood that pharmacies are, uh, pharmacists and their team work slightly differently during this pandemic and so therefore they're there to support them not to penalize them so I, I just think they've 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 almost bent their own rules a little bit the gphc in a, in, a, in a very constructive way in a very positive way to sort of support support community pharmacy i mean rob can i come, come to you over the gta thing there is a challenge there's a challenge in there isn't there from uh, Mr. Travis. yeah there is a challenge rob I mean, so I do. what do you i mean i can understand uh I'm happy to. I'm happy to reply. Well, go on then, Rob. Uh, they're not asking you to defend the CCA, but defend the CCA. Well, okay. So I, I defend it like this. I think that the CCA has a particular role. It represents eight organ, eight companies now. Certainly, when I was involved in it for eight years, the CCA did not issue a single press release. So that's not something that it. You know, I would say that there are times when organisations know to keep out, and particularly if you're representing large businesses with certain capabilities to do things for themselves and focused on, as they would see it, focused on the day job in getting through this, then why add to the sort of chaos when you're representing a group of eight organisations who themselves, I think we've seen, we've all seen, have, have been in the press from time to time about what they've been doing. So, you know, maybe it's a good thing that there's been one less voice on the pitch arguing the same things. They've been out there. I've seen two or three things from them over the over the last couple of months, but I don't think uh, quantity is necessarily the same as quality. But they've, but there's no doubt they've fallen short now, is there? I mean, I, you, you look at the one of the biggest issues to, to, to sort of hit pharmacy during this pandemic is the, the abuse and, and, and violence in pharmacies. That's up there. With the PPE, I mean, you know, it, it, it's a huge issue, and um, the CCA, you know, judging by reports, you know, are falling quite short. We, we hear reports that staff in, a, in the multiples have been have suffered abuse and aggressive behaviour from from customers, and 
and one of one multiple perhaps has been giving placating the customers with, with vouchers rather than and I, it took the PDA to sort of give the CCA a nudge to say well hang on a minute you know that's not you're not really getting fully behind this zero tolerance approach to so I think the CCA have a, a responsibility there to sort of ensure that they're you know the members are you know making sure that they are doing all they can to, to, to avoid the situation. I think I think I would defend the CCA then, certainly its member companies. I mean, its member companies have always had a zero tolerance approach to violence intimidation in, in pharmacies. It's, it's not a question that they were, were not joining the, the PDA initiative because they already had standing policies. All the member companies about violence and intimidation and threatening behaviour in pharmacies. So I wonder whether that was a little bit of opportunism by the PDA because the CCA very uh, vigorously defended it, it, its approach of its member companies on that issue. But, you know, it's, um, it is interesting how they come out. I, t- I totally understand where Rob's coming from on that. It's a different type of organisation, I suppose, to membership organisations like the MPA and the RPS. And, you know, I think those membership organisations have actually done pretty well over the, the course of the crisis. I mean, yes, there's, there's a, an issue about coordination and messaging. There's been so much information being, being thrown at pharmacists out there. But, you know, there's been plenty of support available. And I think even organisations like AIM have punched above their weight with their Pharmacy Heroes campaign. Like you say, Neil, the regulator has been flexible, responsive regulation at, at a time of crisis, which has been really good. The national negotiating bodies have been pretty good, especially uh, up in Scotland. And I think the RPS has done well over the course of this crisis too. I've been impressed with its communications and the way it's, it's opened up its services and support to non-members, um, various webinars, medicines, ethics and practice made available to everyone, etc. But also how hard it's lobbied for things like recognition of key worker status and, and inclusion of pharmacists and no teams thank goodness, in the government's death in service scheme. And that was a hard but necessary fight. And the society played its part in that. For me, I think the NPA has been a bit quiet. And I should add the caveat that you know, we're not necessarily fully aware of some of the practical day-to-day stuff that the NPA is providing for its members on the ground. And, and of course, there's all that unseen lobbying engagement work that's going on with MPs and ministers. And the NPA plays a you know, full part in that. All the same, I wonder how many pharmacy owners are saying to themselves, well, thank goodness I, I'm an MPA member during this crisis. Um, their public profile definitely been a little bit lower than I would have expected. But overall, you know, I think it's, uh, it's been the pharmacy bodies have done pretty well you know, over the course of this crisis. So let's finish with any other business. I noticed uh, that a pod favourite, Donald Trump, has walked out of another press conference and that uh, Robert Twelvehouse's Jenrick got given the graveyard slot again uh, on the Sunday press briefing. But you know, I'd like to slip in a quick good week, bad week nomination. We haven't done that this week, but I'd like to, to do a quick one now. And I want to give my good week to media doctor, Dr. Mark Porter, who I think is great. And writing in his column in The Times uh, yesterday, I think, the, t- uh, the column is called How to Avoid the Long Queue at Your Local Pharmacy. And he gives some great common sense advice about asking about batch prescribing and allowing plenty of time between ordering and collecting your repeats. So re- really good stuff. So good week for Mark Porter. Uh, but my bad week nomination goes to Dr. Mark Porter. 
because in that very same column, he mentions uh, asking GPs to increase duration of treatment on prescription and then goes on to give a plug to online pharmacies and dispensing doctors. So no, 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 Dr. P, that's not good at all. If I wasn't going to press today, I'd be firing off a stern letter to the editor of The Times. So bad week, as well as good week uh, for Dr. Mark Porter. Um, anyone notice anything else, Arthur? What have you seen this week? Um, well, the government obviously unveiled its new uh, approach and its new slogans around managing the virus uh, on the weekend. I woke up to the instruction on Sunday that I was staying alert and controlling the virus, and I thought, Jesus, how am I doing this? Um, and uh, and there's been a lot, lot of amusing riffs on that on social media. They've got this new yellow and green post, and they've all been, I've seen all sorts of uh, riffs on that. There's one I saw this morning, washing machines, stay, live, live longer with Calgon. I think that was my favorite. <laughs> uh, and of course, there was Matt Lucas's uh, video that he recorded on Twitter where he sort of uh, satirized Boris and his uh, remarks and things confusing by a lot of people. Yeah, that Matt Lucas skit is absolutely brilliant. Um, what have you seen, Rob? Yeah, on that same theme, the, the one I like is the version of the yellow and green poster which says, Ooh, careful, mind how you go, be lucky, which kind of summed it up for me. I, I think there's some brilliant stuff that's been going around on, on all of that. Um, so, yeah, I've enjoyed That's kept me um, amused this week in amongst everything else of being slightly frustrated by trying to work out what on earth we're supposed to do now or not. Um, I, I got one here, which is a very brief one, which says, you can sit in a park, but not tomorrow or Tuesday, but by Wednesday that'll be fine. And you can talk to your mother in the park, but not with your father. But then you can talk to your father ten ten minutes later. Isn't that, isn't that a yeah? A teacher or a teacher can go to school with many four year olds that they are not related to, but can't see one four year old that they are related. To. Well, I, I could see you guys in the office, I guess, if we could get in and we're socially distant. But I, I, I couldn't see any relatives outside my house. It's just it's just complete chaos. Uh, Neil, what have you made of it all this week? Well, I, I thought um, what's going on in New York at the moment, Andrew Cuomo, I think he's had a pretty good, uh, I say a good week. I think he's had a, a, a fairly decent last few weeks. I mean, he's uh, uh, certainly a hit on something with the, the testing, um, pharmacies testing for, for the virus, I think. And, uh, and I think he's just joining all the dots in New York. I think he's getting uh, hospitals, pharmacies and care homes in a, in a kind of um, co- coordinated fashion to sort of try and get control. I know this is not particularly lighthearted, <laughs> um, but it's but it but it's something that's just kind of positive in a way, if you see what I mean. He's, he's I think it's just catching the eye. I think he's ahead of the curve. Well, that's that's great, Neil. That's a that is like you say a positive way uh, to wrap up this week's pod. So, yep, we'll come to the end now. Thanks as always to to Rob, Neil, and Arthur. The pod is available on all our websites and the usual platforms. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week, but we're going to play out with a Welsh hymn. Now, if you haven't seen this on social media, this is something that was organised by Community Pharmacy Wales, and I think I can spot the hand of my old mate Chris Martin in there too, and not the Coldplay one. Um, anyway, they asked pharmacists and their teams to select their favourite Welsh hymn or song and then to record themselves singing it as a kind of tribute to the spirit and endeavour and fortitude shown by pharmacy teams in Wales during this crisis. And they did. It's all over social media and it's absolutely brilliant. 
and we're going to play it for you now. One of my favourite hymns sung by some of Wales's finest, Calon Lam. Call on la 